34. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, This is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, You have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool! This very night of your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in his, all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide pursues for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Obviously, it's going to be helpful if you have uh, that Bible verse open in front of you, or Bible passage, uh, as we dive into another part of uh, Luke's Gospel. We've been looking at a series uh, that I've called Questions, uh, Questions on the Road, because really this part of Luke's Gospel captures uh, Jesus' teaching uh, between the time that Peter confessed that he knew that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God, uh, and Jesus at that point 
turns and heads for Jerusalem and the cross and everything that is there. And on the journey, on the road, Jesus is teaching his disciples what it means to follow him. And many of the questions that come up are the same questions that come up for us. I'd like to uh, ask you about this question. Where is abundance found? Because I think this is, a, this is a question that our society is asking, that our, our, our families are asking. Parents are asking this about their children. We're asking this about our communities. What is the good life? Just look at television and you'll see that we are obsessed with this question. The homes, the lifestyles, the fashion, the food, the travel, the relationships, it's all over our televisions. Parents, if you ask, what are you hoping for your children? Often you get answers back like, I want them to have a good life. I want them to be happy. We are searching for abundance. We look for it in lots of different places. We look for it in education. We look for it in career, in relationships, in real estate, in family. And if you can't have it in real life, well, just go online. You can have it in virtual life. And you can be the person that you want to be uh, and um, have it all there. If you actually look at the election that we had uh, last Saturday, not the more important election last Sunday for our leadership team here at church, but the election we had last Saturday, really it was about this question. Both sides of the political divide put forward their vision, their strategy for how to make our nation abundant. They offered different paths and we as a democracy chose one for this three-year block and we'll do it again. They offered a vision of abundance for individuals as well as for us as a nation. But it's not just politics. Religions offer the same. And you may remember Jesus' words from John 10, where he promises that he has come that those who follow him might have life and life in abundance. That vision is there. So we're going to explore that this morning from Jesus' teaching. Got three headings. A stark warning, a danger exposed, and a better investment. So you kind of know where I'm heading, and let's dive in. Now Jesus is teaching, and a man calls out from the crowd, verse 13, he says, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me, he wants a bigger share of the family estate. Maybe dad's uh, died, maybe he hasn't, and it's yet to be in the future, but he wants money. He wants the property. And the amazing thing is, is that Jesus doesn't even answer this guy. He says, who made me the judge? And you don't actually hear that Jesus actually told him any answer, other than, don't ask me to sort out your problems. Interesting, isn't it? But he uses it as an opportunity to teach on a really, really important question. This question of where is abundance found? Verse 15, he says, watch out. Be on your guard against all sorts of greed, all kinds of greed. Life does not consist 
in an abundance of possessions. Jesus gives them a stark warning. He tells them, be on your guard. Now, the word here that's translated, be on your guard, is the, is the idea of a military, a soldier on guard duty. The enemy is out there and you need to be vigilant. The consequences of not being vigilant could be fatal. Why does Jesus warn so much about this? Why is it such a strong warning? Because the scriptures tell us that greed is a very dangerous enemy. Greed is not just an unpleasant or unattractive character trait. It says in Colossians and also in Ephesians that greed is the same as idolatry. Greed is worshipping other gods. It's a rival deity. It's other gods that are making promises to the path of, ad- of abundance. Offering what God alone can offer because greed is profoundly spiritual. It captures our hearts. It occupies our dreams. It motivates our plans. And it is so close and so cunning that it blinds us. I'm sure if I walked around this morning and asked you all, who here is greedy? Most of us are. <laughs> oh, we've got a few. Okay. Okay. I actually did think that about you guys, actually. You were the person I hadn't. No, no, I didn't. <laughs> bring it down bring it down you might remember in the 1980s there was a fairly famous film uh, called wall street does anyone remember wall street and the main character his name was gordon gecko okay here he is and he stands up in a shareholder meeting and he makes a speech and this is what he says he says greed for the lack of a better word is good greed is right greed works. Greed clarifies, cuts through and captures the essence of the evolutionary spirit. Greed in all its forms, greed for life, for money, for love, knowledge has marked the upward surge of mankind. Gordon Gecko would tell you that greed is good. It's pretty in your face, maybe somewhat unattractive, maybe hard to swallow, but The message that Jesus brings us is that for most of us, we have swallowed it hook, line and sinker. Think about how you responded last Saturday as the different parties pitched their economic vision to you. What motivated how you responded? Think about your plans for the next year. How much of them involve the material? As Gordon Gecko says, that greed for life, for money, for love, for knowledge. How much of our plans are marked by that? Material prosperity, I think, in Australia has snared us. We are so prosperous And yet we do not see it. 
Clive Hamilton from the Australia Institute, they wrote a, uh, a couple of interesting little uh, articles. You can find them online if you want to look for them. One's called Overconsumption in Australia. The other one's called The Rise of the Middle Class Battler. Uh, this is from Overconsumption in Australia. Uh, it has sometimes been observed that no matter how wealthy people are, they believe they need more money to be happy. Why is this? Well, this is the state of the Australian middle class. There is considerable evidence that middle class Australians focus not on what they have, but on the gap between what they have and what they want, creating a sense of material deprivation in a time of plenty. A sense that we lack, by any standards in world history, no one in this room lacks. No one. But we all have dreams about that thing that we would like. I have a little to-do list in terms of fixing up our house. Nothing wrong with that, can I say. But we dream materialistic dreams. And the house that I live is extravagant by world standards. Extravagant. And it's just an ordinary house. It's just an ordinary house. We buy this. It owns us. We dream materialistic dreams. We look at ourselves relative to everyone else. And so even though we might be driving a Toyota, the guy next to us is driving a Ferrari. And my Toyota looks pretty rubbishy next to his Ferrari. Even though I have a five-bedroom house, they have a six-bedroom house on the waterfront. Okay, I might have a waterfront house, but wow, their house is closer to Glenelg and all the restaurants, you know? And we, we look at ourselves in comparison to everyone else. And we always look up. And the media feeds this. We don't look at the, the lives of the mediocre and ordinary, you know? We go out there and we look for the lives of the rich and famous, don't we? We look at the real estate section in the back of the Australian newspaper at these amazing houses and it makes us look at our own and go, it's pretty ordinary really. You know, we're there and this is the world that we live in but it is nothing new. Solomon, a thousand BC or thereabouts, wrote these words, those who love money never have enough. Those who love wealth are never satisfied with their income. Solomon spotted it, 900 BC. There is nothing new under the sun. And we actually even sanctify our greed, can I say? In a more crass form, we have Christian preachers out there producing books like this. God wants you to be rich and they tell us, they tell us that it's God's plan to bless us here. And if we're not being blessed, we're probably not giving enough money to their ministries. Okay, see how that works? Okay, maybe that's not our issue. Maybe that's not our issue. Maybe we're not buying the prosperity gospel preachers, but we justify things, don't we? Beware justifications. Beware when those justifications tell us that what we suspect is wrong is actually okay. We often don't face up to it and call it 
Greek. We need to recognize that Jesus gives us a stark warning. Watch out. Be on your guard. Why? Verse 15, second half. Life does not consist in abundance of possessions. Someone once asked, do you live for your resume or do you live for your eulogy? Do you have resume values or eulogy values? No one on their deathbed wishes they spent more time at the office. No one on their deathbed really probably cares about what car they drove. But they care about the way their life has affected others. There's a great story about uh, Nobel. You know the Nobel Peace Prize. Uh, a, a cousin, I think, of his died. And the journalist got it wrong. And so wrote the, new, the eulogy for the other guy, Mr. Nobel, who got the privilege of actually hearing his eulogy without actually being dead. Okay, And he'd made a fortune out of dynamite that had been used in the wars that had killed countless people. So you can imagine what was said about this guy. And he had the privilege of actually hearing what they were saying about him after they thought he had gone. And thus, the fortune invested in the Nobel Peace Prize. He thought he'd better set things straight. Do we live for our resume, for the things that we can build? Or what people might say about us when we're gone? Jesus warns us and he gives us uh, an insight into this danger. Uh, and that brings us to our second point. He gives us two case studies. Number one is the parable that he tells about the rich guy. Okay, let me read to you from chapter 12, verse 16. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Okay, this guy, bumper, bumper crop. The amazing thing is, and you don't pick it up here uh, in the English translation, but the word that we translate ground could be a nation. It is used for the, the, the land occupied by a nation. This guy had a lot of land and it produced a bumper crop and he is overflowing with grain. He's got more grain that he knows what to do with. What shall I do? I've no place to store my crops. This is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns. I'll build bigger ones and then I'll store my surplus grain and I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink and be merry. Now, there is no overt criticism here. This man... He's not evil. He's not exploiting people. There is no overt criticism. But there's hints. Who's responsible for his good situation? Notice how Jesus phrases it. The ground of a certain rich man produced. The certain rich man didn't do it. But his ground did it. He's been blessed. That's the implication, isn't it? He has been blessed. Now think about it. I've, um, I've tried over years, I don't always succeed, to eliminate two words 
from my vocabulary, and they're not swear words, so don't worry about it. Uh, One is the word lucky, and the other is fortunate, because both of those are impersonal. You could say of this rich man, isn't he lucky? No, he's not lucky. Isn't he fortunate? No, he's not fortunate. He's been blessed. I've tried to eliminate it because I want to remind myself that I have a heavenly father who is actually over all of these things. And whatever situation I enjoy, it's in his hands. It's in his hands. And this man, he had a good problem, but he gets it wrong. And you see it starting to be hinted there in verse 17. He starts saying these things. What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns, build bigger ones. And there I will steal my surplus. Do you see it? He's at the centre. He thinks of himself as lucky. And he's excluded God from the picture. He says, what shall I do? Not what shall, what would God want me to do with the things that he's blessed me with? He's, he's gone to the financial planner. They've given him good financial advice. Build bigger barns, store it up, save it for a, a time. Just kick back, enjoy your early retirement, eat, drink and be merry. But God says to him, you fool. This very night, your life, there should be a picture of a gravestone up there, by the way, will be asked, will be demanded from you. Because Luke is telling us, Jesus is telling us here, that not only did this man and his property and his crops belong to God, but the man himself belonged to God. And God is saying, your soul, it's time to come home. It's time to give an account. It's time to face the judge. And Jesus gives you the judgment. You fool. You fool. This very night your life will demand it from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And he warns us. This is how it will be for everyone who stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. Now given what I've said before about our tendency always to look up and to compare ourselves with those who have a little bit more. Rest in the fact that by world standards, even if you are unemployed with us today, you are rich. Even if you have very little, by world standards, you have an amazing abundance. Even if you look at everyone else and say they have more, you have been blessed. And the question that we have to ask ourselves is, are we rich towards God? That's the first lesson Jesus wants to teach. But now he flips it round and he gives us a case study from the other side. Because you know what? Greed is not just for the people who have stuff. Greed is as much, if not more, an issue for those who lack Okay, instead of the conspicuous consumption, instead of the godless contentment, you get anxiety and you get worry. 
Because the lack of the blessing of the idol is felt just as keenly. The lack of the blessing of the idol. And so maybe you long for times to be different. Maybe you're planning diligently. Maybe you're dreaming for when that comes in. Maybe you're despairing. Maybe there's inertia, paralysis. Maybe you're thinking, what can I do? Jesus speaks to us. He reminds us. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry. He's flipped it round. Do not worry about what you will eat. Do not worry about the body, what you will wear. Life is more than food and the body is more than clothes. Consider the ravens. Birds. God feeds them. You can't add one hour to your life. So why would you worry about all this stuff you cannot control? But God can add that hour and God has it under control. He feeds them. He will care for you. Consider the flowers. Which Solomon in all his splendor did not outshine. God clothes them here today, gone tomorrow. How much more you do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink do not worry about such thing for the pagan world runs after such things and your father your father who delights to bless he knows that you need them now what's jesus promising here jesus is promising that we have a god who cares for us We have a God who knows our needs. One of our issues, it was captured for me by the NAB auto, you know, the the hole in the wall that gives me money. Um, You know, you put your card in, they give you, I think it's mine. Uh, But anyway, uh, it it had a picture of a fancy car and it had this phrase, um, need or want, what's the difference? Uh, And we in a society, we live like that. I want it becomes I need it. What's Jesus promising? He's not promising that the Father is going to give us our wants. That is the prosperity gospel. That is the God delights just to make you rich. But there is a richness that is so much richer than an abundance of possessions. There is a richness that overflows so much more than in your life now. Jesus is promising that your father who delights to bless will care for you and nothing is outside of his control and what you need, he will provide. What you need, he will provide. He tells us to seek the kingdom. Those other things will be given to you as well. Brings us to our last point. The better investment. Jesus encourages us. He urges us. And he says to us in verse 32, he says, Do not be afraid, little flock. You get the image of the the little gathering of sheep feeling a bit beleaguered. He says, Don't be afraid, little flock. The Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Life 
comes in the kingdom of life. Life comes from God's hands. Jesus has warned us. He says, you need to recognize the trap. Greed can never be satisfied. The more you get, the more that you want. The more that you have, the more you will look around and say, I I need more. I want more. The more holidays you go on, the more holidays you will want to go on. And the more keenly you will feel them when you don't. There's always renovation in the house. What more can you have? Craving life in stuff. Jesus tells us it's a dead end. It's a dead end. It is an addiction to something that will crush us. So watch out. Be on your guard. Remember, your father has given you the kingdom. Trust in his provision. Why would you trust him? Well, let's jump outside of Luke. Let's go to Romans. It's meant to be Romans 8, not Romans 12. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? He has given us the most precious gift. Will he skimp on anything else that we need? Anything else that we need, not anything else that we want. He is a father and he knows what we need. He has given us Christ. Trust in his provision. I think there's a lesson, there's a lesson here for me as much as I imagine there's a lesson here for you. I think it's very easy just to slowly ratchet up your standard of living. To slowly ratchet up what you want, what your expectations are. To slowly extend a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. There's some great examples in church history. Charles Wesley, uh, the guy who started the Methodist church, uh, by all reports... Uh, Throughout his life, I don't think there was a lot of inflation at the time, he kept his living expenses the same. He lived simply, even though the income he earned through publications and so forth, it went up significantly. And what did he do? He just gave more and more and more away. Next time you get a pay rise, do you think, great, What can I do in the house? What holiday can go on? What can I buy? Or do you think, wonderful, a great opportunity to give more away. Wesley thought that. His philosophy, he wasn't anti-money. He said, earn as much as you can, save as much as you can, give as much as you can. That was his philosophy. And if he said he had more than a few pounds in the bank when he died, he should be reckoned a thief. Interesting, isn't it? Interesting. Trust in his provision. He has given us the kingdom. He has given us his son. And he calls us to act faithfully with what he has entrusted us with. Verse 33. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Radical, isn't it? He's not saying, if you have a bit left over, give it away. He's modelling a generosity. He's calling us to a generosity that 
exceeds anything that I think we conceive of. He's calling us to be sacrificial. But remember that the Son of God, who was rich beyond comparison, gave everything and became poor so that through him we might gain every spiritual blessing. He calls us to be sacrificial because he himself is sacrificial. And when God is in the picture, and when you see that the blessing that you have received is a blessing from the Father, when you know that the ground that has produced the crops or the job that has produced the salary or the opportunity that has produced the education, when you see that that has come not from chance, not from fortune, not from luck, but from your father, your father who has given you the kingdom, you will use it for him. You will be, you will be in, you've been entrusted with his stuff in which you are privileged to share. And when God is in the picture, radical generosity makes sense. An early church leader by the name of Augustine, he commented on this. Uh, I'll paraphrase Augustine. He said, you can take it with you. You know, they always say, you can't take it with you? No, you can. Augustine saw it. What did Augustine say? He says, the bellies of the poor were much safer storerooms than his barns. If he had stowed away in the bellies of the poor, it would, of course, be digested on earth, but in heaven, it would be kept all the more safely. So I ask you, what are you investing in? It's not wrong to have a nice house. It's not wrong to have a good job. It's not wrong to go on a holiday. But what are you investing in? Would someone say from outside that your giving, your generosity is sacrificial? And not just your money, but your time. Not just your time, but your energy, your attention, your focus. Would someone say of you, sacrifice, yes. Sell your possessions, give to the poor, provide purses for yourself that will not wear out a treasure in heaven that will never fail. Where no thief comes near, no moth destroys. Where is your treasure? Where is your treasure? Can I just, just as we wrap up, different generations have different idols, can I say? For the older ones, and I'm pushing closer to you, I think as I look at you, and I don't want to sound critical, because I imagine I'll be there soon enough. The dream of a comfortable retirement is nice, isn't it? Somewhere nice to live, enough money to do the kind of things that you want. But how comfortable is comfortable? How comfortable is comfortable enough? Maybe you dream of leaving an inheritance to the kids, to the grandkids. How much is enough? And just a quick aside, I note that many extraordinarily wealthy people have publicly said they're going to leave absolutely nothing to their kids, that they'd be doing a great disservice to them. Something to reflect upon. For those of us in the middle, and I put myself in the middle, 
What do we dream of? Our dreams are often around our families, our kids. Maybe we're dreaming of a private school education for our kids. Maybe we're dreaming to set them up for this great trajectory into the future. Maybe we're dreaming of finally enjoying a little bit of free time. A bit of time for me. For the younger. You guys, you look at us materialistic old people. And you scorn us, don't you? You have your own gods. You have your own gods. Experience, travel, comfort, relationships. You have different gods and you invest in them in different ways. Different idols. But you can be greedy for all those things in a way that maybe others are greedy for money. To you older people, retirement looks a lot like this rich fool, doesn't it? Sit back, enjoy, eat, drink, and be merry. Paul paraphrases Jesus here. Do you remember his next bit? For tomorrow we die. Okay. If you're retired, you're rich in time. How do you invest that? Is it endless walks along the beaks and lots of lattes? Is it lots of holidays? Maybe it's giving yourself involuntary work to bless others. It doesn't have to be here in church. It could be in a whole host of community environments. Say, God has given me an income that I don't have to earn. I can just use my time to bless others. Maybe you'll actually put the hard word on yourself and you actually say, I'm in a good job. I can earn money. I don't need a lot of that money. The kids are off my hands. The grandkids are off my hands. I can give more. And maybe you stay at work for longer than your peers so you can bless more other with, with the stuff that you're earning. Parents, what are you teaching your children? How do they see these values? work out in you do you model godly consumption do you teach and model generosity do you teach them about the heavenly father that provides for you younger people how do you think about a career how do you think about the work that you will do not just the money that you will earn but the actual job that you will do do you think about it in terms of being a blessing? That you have an opportunity through the education that has been provided for you to bless others within our community? Or is it about, hey, this is leverage and someone pays me a lot of money to do this and that's good because I can do all sorts of other things. Yes, use your money wisely, but use your skills wisely. Use your education wisely. Use your opportunities wisely. Just wrapping up, just a bit of a story. One of my old youth leaders became the Premier of New South Wales. Some of you might know by name, Mike Baird. Uh, Mike, thoroughly converted, wonderful Christian guy. You may not like his politics, that's up to you. But Mike, as he was the Premier of New South Wales, said it was his aim to do as much good as he possibly could, with all the limitations placed on that, in the opportunity and the time that he had. It wasn't about the power. 
It wasn't about leveraging it for his mates. It was about actually being a blessing in that community at that time. Now, Jesus is saying, as you think about your life, recognize that you have a heavenly father, a heavenly father who can bless you abundantly. And in Christ, he has. And through you, he can bless others. So as we ask ourselves, where is abundance found? We know that abundance is ours in Christ. And in his name, we get to share it with others. Let's pray. Father, this is a word that cuts across a deep idol in our lives. Father, the the idol of materialism, of a desire for more, is so prevalent within our society. Father, give us eyes that lets us see that we have been blessed in every area by you. That everything that we enjoy, every good gift, comes from your hand. Every opportunity, opportunity to learn, opportunity to experience, opportunity to serve, it comes from you. Father, let us see that you have blessed us so richly in Christ. And out of the abundance of material blessings that you have given us, let us see that those things are yours and we are stewards who use them in your service. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the blessing that we have received. We thank you for the riches that we enjoy. Lord, do not let us be like the rich man who made his plans. But Father, did so in a way that left you out of the picture and ultimately was judged a fool. Help us to see what wisdom in you looks like. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen.